Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones in for vacationing. Brett McGarry, hope you're having a fantastic Thursday afternoon. Don't forget tomorrow afternoon, we will be on the patio, the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. And Marion, come down and join us for our patio slash pizza palooza. Nice excuse to get out of work a little bit early. We'll be there all afternoon from 1 until 4. We invite you to come down and join us later on in our program. We'll learn more about North Korea to find out is this threat against Guam for real? What do Canadians need to know about the situation? We'll have an expert join us on that. We'll find out about the mud run for Alzheimer's happening up in the Parkland area up near Dauphin. In fact, it's at the uh, Country Fest site. We'll learn about that. And Carolyn Clausen, her weekly uh, visit, will discuss how do we forget about important things like our kids in the back seat of our car. Is there a reason that we can possibly forget about these things? But Tristan, we want to start uh, about a resignation, a major news yep. story in the last hour happening to the west of us in the province of Saskatchewan. And a bit of a surprise, Greg. I think a lot of us were surprised that it uh, unfolded in the way it did. Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall is retiring from politics after a decade in office. Together with Tammy, I've decided that now is the time for renewal, for my party, for the government, for the province. It's time for me to retire from politics. And so I've asked the Saskatchewan party to begin the process of electing a new leader who will become the next premier. I'll continue to serve as premier until the new leader is chosen. And until then, there's still a lot of work to do. And we carry out that work in a Saskatchewan much stronger after a decade of growth. It's easy to forget how things were in the province just 10 years ago. Remember the questions we used to ask. Could our population get over and stay over a million people? Could we put an end to the near certainty that young people would look first to someplace outside of Saskatchewan for their future? And why, in a province as blessed with resources and amazing and innovative people as ours, would we have the worst job creation record in all of Canada as we did just 10 years ago? Well. We came to office, some said naively, with a vision and a plan for growth, seeking to put an end to these questions together with you, the people of Saskatchewan. We set a goal of seeing Saskatchewan grow by 100,000 people in 10 years. Some call that impossible. Saskatchewan has now grown by 160,000 people during our decade of growth. We're only 40,000 short of 1.2 million people. That all sounds pretty rosy, sounds pretty positive, but why is the Premier stepping away? Is there more to this mm. than just the 10-year year itch? Sarah Mills joins us from CJME Radio in Regina, and she is the Assistant News Director there. Sarah, thank you for taking time for us on this very busy day for you. Yeah, anytime. So uh, is there more to this than the Premier is letting on? Is this a celebration of 10 years and the Premier saying, I'm going to get out while the getting's good? Or is there another side to this? You know, I think it's a whole heap of things. I think absolutely it's that. It's when you hit uh, this week, for example, is the 20th anniversary of the SAS party being created. You have that milestone. You have the milestone of this November that the Premier will be 10 years in, in power. 
10 years as premier. Um, and, and you do begin to look um, both on the family side, as you hit 51, as he now is, as what else is out there for me, as the self-confessed political nerd, as he's always said he was. You know, this was the job he wanted in high school, in university. And when you've done it for 10 years, maybe you do, with a kind of midlife question, ask yourself, what's next? And then given your love of politics, given your love of the province and this party, you played a large role in its momentum. What do you leave for people? And therefore, is it the right time to say it's a new voice is needed and perhaps new energy, which is how he described it? Sarah, I have to ask, because when I heard the announcement just here in Manitoba, I was quite surprised that it happened seemingly so suddenly. I mean, yeah, there might have been some clues that the Saskatchewan party wasn't doing as well as it had in the opinion polls. But I was a little bit shocked to to find that out just on some Thursday afternoon. I'd be interested in knowing what's the reaction been in Saskatchewan so far regarding Brad Wall's announcement? Um, I mean, obviously, there's people on the left who will be happy to see him go and are expressing that. But on social media, it's mostly a a thanks. It's mostly uh, you you gave us a decade of your time. And I think there's absolutely a revenance that is given to those who serve in public life, regardless of whether you agreed with them or not. Um, As for the surprise element... There's been speculation within Saskatchewan and within the political chatter of the province that this was coming. It was a question he continued to have to deal with during the election, which was really only, you know, just over a year ago. And there were questions continuously asked of would he be serving the four years? Would he go into the 2020 vote? And he never really directly answered the question. You know, he would joke and laugh and say, well, are you in your job for the next four years? Who knows? Who knows what people say, I'm just fighting for this election. And, you know, he kind of danced around the question, but say, no, no, I'm, I'm here to stay. And he claimed in today's announcement that he really only made his mind up in June and that he has no, you know, mega prospects or job offers that have led to this. Um, so within the political chatter, it's not a surprise. The timing perhaps is. Um, my sources have been telling me for a long time from, from within the Saskatchewan party that Given the current deficit situation and the legacy that Grant Devine, the the premier in the 80s with his deficits and fraud left behind, that that played on the shoulders of Brad Wall. And he really wanted to, you know, would I guess those who don't like him be saying, well, he's no different than Devine. The province is in a deficit. He's left us worse off than when he found us. Um, He believes the province is still strong, that they have a plan to get back into the black and out of a deficit. And, you know, he he just, he, I think, family-wise, and he believes the province is strong and it's simply time to move forward. My sources were saying saying he was going to stay a bit longer and possibly see it through to 2020 when the plan would have been they were out of the deficit. I, I guess through family reasons and just time for change, he, he decided to pull the plug. A $1.3 billion deficit uh, plaguing the Saskatchewan government. And in fact, in the latest Main Street research poll, uh, it was looking as though the Saskatchewan party was actually less popular than the new Democrats who don't even have a leader right now. Yeah, you know, the the poll was a, a shock. 
It came just a month after the budget, a budget that saw cuts in various programmes. I mean, they had a plan to get back out of the deficit and it came at the cost of certain things. You know, we don't have a provincial bus company anymore. Um, they had to backtrack on library decisions. There were a number of taxes went up, PST went up, PST was applied to more things. It was an, a, a difficult budget with tough decisions that, quite frankly, nobody liked. Who likes a, a tax increase? Um, so, that, I mean, there were that poll would not have been a surprise. But when you look at the history in the last year of the NDP with just nine seats, even if they win an upcoming by-election in Saskatoon, even if they increase votes, to get to that near you know, 30 more mark that you need in MLAs, that's a big mountain to climb. And if they have a new leader, a new leader that, you know, as some are saying, the front runner is someone very far on the left who could split the party, um, it could be that this is a good time for Brad Wall to go because the NDP may not be as strong as everyone thinks it is by the time the election comes. It's a bit of that where we were uh, 10 years ago with voters saying, well, I'll give this SAS party a chance. I think they might be saying, we'll give this new SAS party leader a chance because they still will have such a mountain for the NDP to climb. Sarah, I have to ask because I know Brad Wall mentioned he is retiring from politics. I take that with a grain of salt because I would not be surprised at all if he re-enters federal politics or in some other capacity. Uh, what's the sentiment there in Saskatchewan? Are people looking at this as saying, oh, he's done with politics for good? Or are there a few people saying, yeah, we'll see you soon? I think it will be, I'd say it's a two-thirds vote. I think two-thirds of people truly believe that this political nerd forever had a dream of being premier, and he achieved it, and he achieved it for 10 years. And if if that was your political dream and you never dreamt of wanting to be prime minister with all of the factions, all of the Quebec question that you have to answer. I think two-thirds of people here do truly believe that he's calling time on his political career, that this was the top job he wanted. He's achieved it. What left is there? Because, you know, federal politics is a very different game. Just because you're popular in one province, doesn't mean it works out for you everywhere else. The Ontario vote, the Quebec question, all of that. Most of the time, given his connections in the oil and gas sector, the advancement of the Saskatchewan oil and gas sector that he's in part had a hand in, he, um, if there was the opportunity to be the Canadian ambassador to the US, I think he'd be jumping at that chance. And I think it's that sort of when people around the country have looked at Brad Wall, who was the champion of this kind of no-good province that no one cared about, as often Saskatchewan, you know, much like Manitoba, that's sometimes how we're seen. But the prairie yep. provinces, that don't count, right? Um, it is how people in the, the, the big provinces and the, the big cities see us. And here was this guy who went around championing not just in Canada, but in China, in London, in Europe, in America, you know, in Washington, about the resources we had, about what we could do, about what this province could achieve, about the passion that people had for it, the lentils, the uranium, the canola, all of that kind of stuff, along with the oil and gas. Many people would like to see him in some kind of role where he champions perhaps not just Saskatchewan, but Canada. Now, whether he wants that 
taking away from his family um, when maybe grandchildren might be in the next decade for him and his family. Who knows? But you do have a son in Colter Wall, very successful in Nashville and Tennessee. Maybe the States is where you want to go. Well, and it's funny you mentioned, Sarah, uh, Brad Wall potentially uh, looking at uh, a role as ambassador because former Premier Gary Dewar here in Manitoba did exactly that. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's a, a path that, you know, I mean, he would joke and say, you know, it's a shame the CFL commissioner position is now gone because that's <laughs> something with his love of the Raiders and his time as a you know, minor football league coach. There's a love of that, you know, many people could say that might be someone. He came from business. He knows how to handle people, you know, the to and fro of the political world. Um, but he, you know, I, I do, I think, believed him when he said he didn't have any offers. I think in the next week that sentence would change. I think a lot of people will be knocking on his door. Sarah Mills, thanks for answering our knock on the door and having this chat with us about uh, Brad Wall's red- resignation as Premier of Saskatchewan. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks, guys. You bet. We'll talk again soon. Sarah Mills is Assistant News Director at 980 CJME in Regina. And uh, she is a Brit, if you didn't guess by her accent, now living in Canada, applying her trade in Saskatchewan. And I have to say, you know, I, I'm very vocal about our rivalry with Saskatchewan to the point Keith McCullough thinks it's an illness on my part. But uh, in all genuine sense, I'm very envious of what they've accomplished in Saskatchewan Absolutely. over the last decade. I played that clip about how they aimed and achieved a certain target in terms of raising the population. When I lived in Alberta, after I left and went back and visited Calgary, you would see on a consistent basis giant billboards come home to Saskatchewan, basically an advertising campaign asking expatriate Saskatchewanites to come home. And it was very successful, and Saskatchewan continues to do incredible things. Brad Wall, no longer Premier of Saskatchewan. Well, he's announced his retirement. Right. There will be a a secession plan. Uh, uh, According to the Saskatchewan Party, they uh, intend to have a plan for that secession in the next 30 days. It's Greg and Tristan with you. North Korea's latest threat to target Guam prompted this reaction overnight from the island's governor. And I want to reassure the people of Guam that currently there is no threat to our island. And this warning from President Trump. They will be met with fire, fury, and frankly power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. The president's tough words unexplained by the White House. I think the president's comments were very strong and obvious. Criticized by the Senate's top Democrat as reckless and questioned by some in his own party. All it's going to do is bring us closer to some kind of serious confrontation. More than what the president says, I think it's what the United States does in concert with its allies at this point that matters more. Is President Trump pushing the U.S. into nuclear war with North Korea? We may not know until they God forbid, uh, test a missile uh, with, with that on top. U.S. officials now believe North Korea has the ability to put a small nuclear warhead on a missile and missiles that could reach as far as Chicago. They are blowing through this president's red lines like tissue paper. What is Trump going to do now? Diplomacy so far has not worked, and defense experts say there are no good military options. Tracy Potts, NBC News, Washington. Macklin and McGarry with Greg Mackling, and I am Tristan Field-Jones filling in for a vacationing Brett McGarry.
That was a report you heard regarding the latest developments surrounding the tension between North Korea and the U.S. Greg, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, I, and as I mentioned many times, in fact, I'm not a fan of fear-mongering, and I think when it comes to potentially frightening situations like this, education and facts are key. And this is something to take seriously, but I want to know, just as someone, as someone on the street, regular Joe Blow here, I want to know what's going on here. And so I forget to call in an expert, Rob Hubert. He's a defense expert at the Center for Military and Strategic Studies at the University of Calgary, former Winnipegger. So, Rob, I know we've had you on uh, the air several times. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's indeed my pleasure, as always, Tristan. Uh, Rob, I have to ask, uh, just from my perspective, I look at this as, I mean, North Korea said, how many times have they said, we're going to nuke the U.S., we're going to destroy them? And you, you kind of don't take any of those seriously. But this is the first occasion where I actually have to pause for a second and and ask, well, is there a little bit more to this, especially with U.S. intel suggesting that they can mount a nuclear uh, weapon on a long-range missile? So, Rob, I have to ask you, should we be taking this more seriously than previous threats? Yeah, no, and I mean, you know, we need to be taking the, even the previous threats serious because, I mean, what we tend to forget is that there's two factors that have been going in the last seven years along with the North Korean threats. The, the first one is um, they do follow through on some of their threats. Uh, for example, uh, we very strongly suspect that it was one of their submarines that torpedoed a South Korean uh, naval ship. Um, you know, that was an act of war. Uh, but we were able, you know, once... Korea and Japan were not quite willing to push them on on that one. They've also fired missiles in and artillery barrages into South Korea. So Koreans, unfortunately, have been following through on some of their threats, not against the Americans, not against the larger powers, but they've increasingly been doing so against the South Koreans. And uh, we can see that they're increasingly making threats against the Japanese. The second part, and this is the part to really answer the part that I know you're the most concerned with, is at the same time that they've been continuing with this, you know, this very, very um, uh, bellicose uh, rhetoric that uh, all that entire family uses. And, and remember, this is an absolute monarchy that we're talking about, in, in, in fact, that um, uh, they've been steadily increasing their technological capabilities, both in terms of the warhead, i.e. the suspicion in the outside literature is that they do have nuclear weapons now, and they've been steadily improving their ability to um, have a truly intercontinental reach uh, with their missile system. And so you do have a willingness to, to carry through, to use deadly force. You do have the weapon system. And you have an individual who, whose sole purpose is, is to defend his hold on power. And, and that combination, you, you know, when you sit there and you say that you're nervous, you've got every right to be nervous. Rob, when we talk about all these different sanctions that have been placed on North Korea over the years, none of them have clearly worked. Uh, I would suspect, as with most of these things, these sanctions hurt everyday people more, right? Because uh, if if there's less money, uh, guaranteed the military budget is not changing. So that means less money for schooling, for roads, for, for food, for a, an impoverished country. Why do these sanctions uh, get implemented in the first place if we realize that they have very little chance of having an, an effect? 
Well, it, it's partly it's the frustration factor. It's sort of that feeling we got to do something. This guy is a is a lunatic. Uh, you know, he's threatening us. He's starving his population. And there's always that sense that you got to do something. And sanctions are the thing that everybody can, can can say. Okay, we're going to do the sanctions. I mean, really, what it's illustrating is that when it comes to dealing with a autocrat who doesn't care how many of his people die or the neighbors just to, to achieve his overall objectives. You know, the, the unfortunate reality is that there are limited recourses in which you can, you can do anything. As everyone has pointed out, because they now have nuclear weapons, because they've paid close attention to what happened to Iraq and other countries that we've seen the leadership taken out, it's going to be incredibly difficult if any, you know, if Trump is even thinking about, you know, trying to use military force. And so if you're not willing to use military force, because it's probably going to be very, very difficult to do so, um, you sit there and you say, well, what else do we do? And that's that's the question no one has ever come up with a really good answer to. If you're Donald Trump and North Korea keeps crossing... That's a chilling thought. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're in his position and, you know, North Korea keeps, as we heard in the news report there, North Korea keeps crossing these red lines. It's as if they don't seem to care anymore. If you're the president, what can you do besides some sort of military action? And the thought of military action, on Peninsula, is chilling, I think, for most of us because we know that anything... A, could explode real quick, and B, that would result in a very deadly, very serious war. So I have to ask, if you're the president of the U.S., or if you're in Japan, like, what what do you do now? Yeah, well, I mean, if, you, if you're president of, uh, you know, if you're, if you're prime minister of Japan, what you're going to be trying to do is building up your own defensive capability. And for anyone who's been following Japanese politics, particularly under the uh, administration of Abe, you will see that is precisely what he has done. I mean, in North America, we didn't pay attention to this about uh, a year and a half ago. Abby introduced new legislation that allowed Japanese forces to actually protect other people's forces. And it was really meant to provide some means of protection to Guam, to be honest. And so um, if you're doing that, you're building up your military. And he's been doing that very, very quietly but very significantly. If you're an American, if you're the American administration, and this is where the problem comes in, the solution that most presidents eventually come to is that you have to, you have to basically grit your teeth and ignore the worst of the bellicose nature of the North Koreans. If you rise to their bait, uh, basically they're getting into your head. And most presidents, Republicans and Democrats, up until this president, have recognized that. The one option that everybody has known uh, but have been unsuccessful is trying to bring the Chinese online. The Chinese have been the biggest supporters of the North Koreans. Uh, that's why sanctions actually haven't been working, because the, um, the, the Chinese say they're putting sanctions on. And then, of course, what we subsequently find out is that it's an incredibly porous sanction, so to speak. They, they, I mean, the reality is they're not enforcing them. And so if you truly wanted to try to, to somehow ratchet down the North Koreans, you're going to have to try and get through China. And that, once again, that takes subtlety. That takes a uh, type of negotiations where you can't take credit. If you take credit 
for that type of negotiations with the Chinese, you're just going to, you know, the Chinese are just going to get pissed off and they're not going to, to, to work. And you can see the way that I'm building the case that this doesn't exactly follow the type of personality that Trump has. And this is why I think so many people are seeing us entering into a new dangerous ground. I think we're uh, all uh, probably studying up on our geography a little bit here, Rob. Rob Hubert, by the way, is a defense expert at the Center for Military and Strategic Studies at the University of Calgary. He joins us on Mackling and McGarry, Tristan Field-Jones here. Uh, I never realized until yesterday how close Beijing was to Pyongyang. It is incredibly close. I was shocked to learn that. And Guam is a place that... We only hear about in Trivial Pursuit games, typically, and uh, on election night when uh, they are the first to cast their ballots if they're eligible to vote in a in a national election of any sort. Why Guam? And, and maybe for those that don't know, Rob, what is the significance of Guam and that and the American installations there? Well, Guam, of course, and I mean the the other part that beyond Trivial Pursuit. Anybody that is a bit of a World War II history buff will know that one of the most vicious battles between the um, Americans and Japanese took place on Guam. And that is just because, as you said, geography. It's all about location, location, location. And uh, the Americans, of course, held it before the Japanese took um, invaded it um, uh, during the uh, Second World War. The Americans then reinvent, uh, invaded, and it was a horrific uh, basically, the Japanese fought to the last uh, last soldier on on that island, and they had over 110,000 troops on it. So you can imagine the magnitude of the battle that the Americans faced. And it's it's the geographical location that is where the Americans have one of their most important military bases in the Asia Pacific region. They have some bases um, in Japan, but in Guam they have uh, for both Air Force and, and Navy some of the most important. And traditionally, that's, that's where they, they, they have their, 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 their military. And, of course, as China has been growing, the importance of the American base there as a, as a counterweight, as a so-called uh, Asian pivot that Obama uh, brought in, uh, really means that that is a critical military base for them. And so when uh, the North Koreans know how important it is, and so obviously... When the North Koreans are trying to make a threat, they're, they're, they're threatening a core interest. And once again, this illustrates why this, this whole situation has become so deadly in the last few weeks, just because you're not talking about defending an ally, South Korea or Japan. You're talking about defending a core military base of the United States that they see as a vital interest. Now, if you thought Donald Trump was going to back off on the rhetoric from 48 hours ago, you'd be mistaken. We're just getting news here uh, from Bridgewater, New Jersey, where Trump is on, quote unquote, vacation. Trump tells North Korea to, quote, get their act together uh, or it will be in trouble. Another quote, like few nations have ever been. Trump on his fire and fury warning to North Korea, maybe statement wasn't tough enough. Trump tells North Korea to get their act together. What do you think of that uh, at first blush there, Rob? Well, I mean, once again, you know, we're in uncharted territory because no American president, even even Bush Jr., who people had some, you know, some questions about his diplomatic capabilities, didn't go that route, didn't get into the rhetoric with the, uh, with the North Koreans. And so we just haven't seen it. The big questions, of course, are what are the Americans pre-positioning? If he's talking about fire and fury, presumably he's given his military orders 
to probably go on a higher alert. They probably are moving forces in position at this point just in case. And, um, and, and, and so one has to wonder about that. One also has to hope that the Americans are also putting a full, um, a, a full diplomatic push on the, on the Chinese to try to get the, uh, the North Koreans to, um, to ratchet down both their rhetoric. But the larger question that remains unanswered, even if, if the rhetoric is removed, even if you can get uh, a gag somehow on the so-called great leader and Trump at the same time, the reality is the, the nuclear program of, um, of the North Koreans is going to be ongoing. I mean, they are a nuclear force that has the capability now of probably reaching most American cities and Canadian cities, too, by the way. Rob, um, I'm going to ask you to I'm going to ask you to speculate here a little bit, but I think the question that's on everyone's mind uh, is anything going to come of this? Is this just going to be another tense moment or will we actually see any action of some sort? Well, I mean, once again, when you're dealing with these type of circumstances, you can never rule out the possibility of someone making a misstep. I mean, realize with the North Koreans, I mean, there's another individual, you, you displease him, and he executes you. He's executed uncles, he's executed other so-called close advisors. And so that's going to color the type of advice he's getting. So if you've got a bunch of syncopaths who are just basically saying, yes, you're a genius, and all of a sudden he gets his nose out of joint out of something that Trump says or thinks that it's somehow challenging him in, 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 in a way that he doesn't want to be challenged, you know, the, the possibility of missteps are always there. And we know in terms of Trump, we've seen no indication whatsoever that he has that subtle touch to deal with great politics in, the, in, in this context. So, I mean, you put those two together and the speculation, you know, it's not just mine, but it's others, is that the possibility of misstep is probably greater than we've seen for a very long time. And once again, the stakes are so real. We tend to forget about Asia Pacific. We tend in, in, in Canada to say, okay, well, you know, Japan and China, that's all nice. But, you know, that is the new, the new, new real circle of power. And I got to tell you, there's so much that has changed in Japan and South Korea in the last 10, 10 or so years. The stakes have gotten unbelievably high. And so all of this means that there's going to be great pressure to try to, 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 to cool things down, at least on the rhetoric side. But, uh, man, the misstep possibilities are, are, are probably larger than we've seen in a very long time. Rob, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it uh, more than you know. Uh, it's always my pleasure, Tristan. That's Robert Hubert. He is a defense expert at the Center for Military and Strategic Studies at the University of Calgary. We'll take a break, update the weather, and uh, we might even catch uh, live uh, some comments from U.S. President Donald Trump. Just a few minutes uh, left in this first hour of Mackling McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones in for vacationing Brett McGarry. Uh, this whole North Korea thing, I, Rob was outstanding. Thanks for reaching yes. out to him. What a terrific guest. And hopefully we can have him back sooner than later. I wanted to ask him uh, about the possibility of Canada maybe bridging the gap here. And We saw the release of the Canadian pastor from North Korea a couple of days ago. I think it was three days ago. I printed mm -hmm. off uh, some information on that here. And I want to ask if there might have been an opportunity for Canada, if that opens the door for Canada to, to come in here and maybe start brokering some conversation about 
cooling things down. And rhetoric was a, a big word that Rob uh, was mentioning and he was using because I think that's what, A, gets the public nervous. It certainly uh, has gotten people in Guam nervous. Yeah. And I think that's when you when you run the risk of missteps is when you're trying to outbluster one another. And then it comes to a point... You can be in a shouting match with someone. You can be chest to chest, nose to nose, chin to chin. Eventually, if you stand in that posture long enough, someone will throw a punch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, I, I, I am incredibly mixed on this because on one hand, I kind of understand where Donald Trump is coming from. He's like a lot of the leaders out there. He's annoyed. Uh, annoyed is a kind of way of putting it. I think angry that they've... They've tried to get the message out to North Korea with sanctions. Uh, they even had diplomatic talks years ago. And North Korea just, nope, 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 nope. And we know, we know that this is a a tyrant. This is a country whose people are, who are put into camps that are not dissimilar to concentration camps from Nazi Germany. Take a few minutes to read some of the horrors that take place in those prison camps in North Korea and the hundreds of thousands of people who are imprisoned in those prison camps. So there's no doubt that this country is vicious. There's no doubt that the man in charge of that, calling him a man, frankly, the animal in charge of that is, uh, I mean, he shouldn't, he should not be around if, if everything were right in the world, he'd be rotting in a prison cell. He should not be around when it comes to what the the atrocities that he's inflicted on his country and the previous leaders too. We know this is a threat, and not only that, not not only do do they inflict those horrors on their people, but they also have nuclear weapons and now weapons that could reach almost every city in North America. So I understand partly part of Trump's anger is that we've tried to deal with this, and it's like maybe maybe it's time for a punch in the nose. the The problem with that though is that punch in the nose could result in millions of deaths and millions of innocent lives lost. Clearly. Nobody wins in this circumstance. It's... I I just hope cooler heads prevail. I hope we get a Lester B. Pearson moment where somebody comes in and negotiates, like the Suez Canal crisis, where we get a diplomat or, or someone who can calm the situation. I really hope that's the case, but unfortunately, who knows at this point. Well, I think it's going to take China to be that Lester... B. Pearson figure, someone from China, a collective from China that's going to say, hey, to their little cousin here, they used to be much closer than they are now. Back off. You know, the world has changed in the last 30 years. You need to change with it. Back off and shut the heck up. We'll take a break and we come back. We'll uh, learn about Alzheimer's and how there are folks uh, from right across the province who are doing their best to uh, help fight the disease and raise money for research to cure it. It's Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones right here on Mackling and McGarry. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones with you on this Thursday afternoon. And Tristan, uh, do you like mud? No. <laughs> uh, even as a kid, I didn't really like getting dirty no, neither all did that I. much. You know, like getting your hands and dirt and that sort of thing. I always had to wash my hands afterwards. I, I was never really one to have a mud pie or anything like that, catch night crawlers or anything. So when I hear mud run, I get a little bit uh, squeamish. But yeah. when you realize that it's for 
charity and a very worthwhile cause, then I'm a little bit more open to talk Certainly. about it, which is what we're going to do in this next half hour. It's the Manitoba Mud Run. Mud Run Warriors Get Dirty for Dementia, and it's taking place this weekend up at the uh, Dauphin Country Fest site. In fact, it's taking place tomorrow. This is a fundraiser for Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Saturday, Greg. What did I say? Tomorrow. It's not Friday today? No, it's not Friday today. I guess we'd be at Santa Lucia if it was Friday. Okay, so it starts, uh, (laughs) it it takes place on Saturday. There's no rain in the forecast anywhere in Manitoba, so I imagine they're going to have to manufacture some some mud here. Might be a gravel run by, by, if we're not careful. No, I think they're they're intent on making it uh, a mud run. Uh, Kathy Bellamere is here. She is one of the participants along with Courtney Addison, and I understand it. Ladies, you are the top two fundraisers for this event happening Saturday. Step up to the microphone. We want to meet you. Uh, Let's start with you, Courtney. Uh, What made you decide to get involved in this event? Well, it's all for the mud. Oh, (laughs) really? Yeah, totally. Oh, you're braver than us, clearly. Oh, yes, totally. (laughs) Yes, but besides that, um, my papa suffered from Alzheimer's for seven years, from the age of 77 to the age of 84. Um, I kind of saw the ups and downs of it, and that really drove my passion to kind of get involved with the Alzheimer's Society. And so I decided to partake in this mud run to really just raise the funds and get out there and get dirty for dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to ask, and, and Kathy, what's your story? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it was my mom, Nettie, who suffered from Alzheimer's for the last six years of her life. And when I saw the things that she went through and how difficult it was for her and her family, and then when she went into the care home, you could see what other families were going through. You just feel that when the whole journey is done and you have some time again and you've got some, you know, some balance back in your life that you go, I want to help because those people need help. And for my mom, I don't understand why she got this. There was no stroke. She wasn't a drinker, smoker, you know, all the risk factors that they talk about. And yet she got it. So I think research is really important. And the only way you do that is by fundraising. It's funny you mention that because my grandmother also suffered from Alzheimer's. And it was very similar. She was very active, very mm-hmm. smart, kept yeah, her brain yes. in check. I mean, yeah. she was, mm-hmm. the moment it was that it was mentioned mm-hmm. she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I was a complete shock to the entire family. And I have to consider if that runs in our genes, is that something that I may be dealing with who knows how many years down the road? So this is something that certainly uh, touches my family quite closely. We want to bring into the conversation now Wanda Syme. She is with the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. She's a regional coordinator. She's up in the Parkland region, one of the most beautiful parts of Canada, let alone the most one of the most beautiful parts of Manitoba. Wanda, thank you for this. This is going to be a gigantic undertaking, but I want to tag on to what Tristan was saying and the importance of research. And I also want to ask about, does Tristan have anything to worry about? Is dementia, is Alzheimer's something that can be genetic? Do we know? The research is showing that there is just a very, very small portion of the population that carries the genetic component that will lead to Alzheimer's. Um, It's like less than 4%. So really, we feel if we really work hard on lifestyle and preventative health issues, perhaps it will will offset it. The the vast majority of cases are, are sporadic. And there's really no contributing factor to lead to Alzheimer's. 
Does that make you feel a little bit better, Tristan? It does, yes. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Wanda, we're learning so much as with cancer, and uh, I mean, the list really goes on. We're learning that a, any of the things that are in our control has have to do with uh, a healthy diet and exercise. Yeah, and, and more and more of the research is, is actually showing that as well. So hopefully in the horizons we will so, come up with better information. Yeah, and and that's part of why it's critical to raise money for the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba and getting dirty for dementia. Uh, who came up with this idea and is this something that is happening uh, across Canada or is this something that's an initiative of uh, Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba? Well, to be honest, we are just benefiting from the Catalyst Credit Union Mudrun Committee that have put this on for the past, this is their fifth year. There were other charities that have benefited in the past. The, the MS Society benefited initially, and the diabetes just finished a two-year stint with um, the Mud Run Committee. So I am a Rotarian, and Rotary is very involved with the Manitoba Mud Run, and I saw how it worked for the Diabetes Association here locally, and I thought, you know, I think we have a shot at being able to contribute to the mud run and also benefit from it. So I kind of started thinking and working on this about two years ago, myself in my own head. And then in the spring of 2016, I approached our then fund development coordinator about um, what, what we could do and how we could get involved with the Catalyst Credit Union group. And we set up a proposal and they invited us in. So we're very fortunate, and hopefully we have some of the success that, that the Diabetes Association and the MS Society have had. Wanda, we uh, we were looking at the poster here, and something that took myself and Greg kind of a bit uh, by surprise. <laughs> uh, so he said, the more you raise, the bigger your prize. So if you raise more than $50, you get a bandana. More than $100, you get a tank top. And if you get more than $300, you get a hot shower? Yes. What is that all about? I don't know how valuable that hot shower is until... You've done 10 kilometers of running through dirt and water. Kathy may be able to speak a little bit towards that because she's done it. And not only is it a hot shower, it's a private shower because there's places mud goes that you just can't read. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. So, Kathy, tell us a little bit about the event since you have participated in the past. Well, the first year I volunteered as a Rotarian and everyone that came through my obstacle, which was the last one, was saying how much fun they had. And I thought, okay. I'm not going to volunteer next year. I am going to do it. So this will be my third year doing it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, yes, that hot shower is definitely a motivation to uh, get yourself, as Wanda said, into uh, a hot private place where you can really clean off. But uh, regardless, it is a lot of fun to be uh, part of this whole mud run. It's How much time does it take? And give us an idea, as our colleague uh, Richard Cluche would say, try and paint a radio picture <laughs> for us as to what the start is like and some of the obstacles and, and how long is the event? Okay. Uh, the uh, participants are put into groups of, I think, about 75 people. So it's a mass start. They do, someone volunteers to do some warm up and then, uh, you know, off you go and uh, you go running along this lovely mountain trail and then you hit the first obstacle and you are forced to get muddy on the first obstacle and then it continues you're muddy and you get clean because there's a lovely mountain stream that you get to go in and out of about three times so clean dirty clean dirty um, a wide variety of obstacles but when you ask about how much time it takes it really depends on how much time you want to give it like some people 
are very keen and they're there to run it as quickly as possible, that's a very small number. The most um, most of the people are there with a group of friends, like Courtney's going to be there. Um, you help yourself, um, you help each other through the obstacles, because some of them may go, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Come on, you know, you can try it sort of thing. So I would say, you know, two to three hours kind of thing it would take in order to finish, depending on, you know, how you're doing it, how fast that type of thing. And then at the end, there's showers, and then there's an opportunity to sit and socialize. Courtney, I have to ask, yeah. is this the first year you're doing this? Or? This is. Very first oh, mode run. <laughs> so, so you hear these details. Does that make you a little bit nervous? Do you think, uh-oh, what have I gotten myself into? Or um, Well, I've always been athletic my whole life, and I'm like super excited mainly for it to get dirty and get in the mud and just see what the obstacles bring because I saw that I think there's going to be climbing and then doing kind of an army crawl like in barbed wire and stuff, and that was mm-hmm. like a little skeptical, but... I'm very excited, I think, for it. I'm on a group of four other teammates of mine, four friends of mine, um, Carissa Ness, Michaela Van Shepdale, Deanna Paisley, and her friend Jennifer Rukal. And we're just so excited and just so ready. See, this, something like this would terrify <laughs> yeah. me, me and my sedentary lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> This would be terrifying. the last uh, yeah. half an hour. Mm-hmm. Wanda, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, th- there must be people coming from all over the province. Uh, clearly, Courtney is coming mm-hmm. from Winnipeg. You must have others coming from other parts of Manitoba. How many participants are you expecting? Um, the Mud Rut Committee reported to me that they have over 900 oh, registered already. <laughs> I know wow. last year they had, had um, 1,200 people registered. So it's oh, registration's open until... Till I believe Friday, um, our our registration isn't directly linked to that. You have to take an extra step to register to be fundraising for the Alzheimer's Society. Okay. So um, we're not. I'm not exactly sure how many we have registered. Last I checked, we had um, we had about close to forty registered. But I just had a man walk in my office today, and he registered today. So. You can register to fundraise for the Alzheimer's Society right up to the time of the of the event. So if you want to get involved and contribute to the Alzheimer's Society, you can walk up to our booth on Saturday, and we'd be glad to register and have you part of our, our Manitoba Mud Run, Run Warriors. Alzheimer.mb.ca if you want to check that out online. Why don't we take a pause? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll update the weather forecast. Uh, there's no mud in the forecast, uh, and that's good for most of us. We'll learn a little bit more about this event and also what has uh, motivated our guests to participate as we make our way through the afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Tristan. This is Mackling and McGarry. Mackling and McGarry sans Brett McGarry. I'm Tristan Field-Jones filling oh, in Francais. for... Très bien. For... Brett McGarry, and we have in studio with us here uh, Kathy Bellmare, who's one of the participants of Mud Run for Alzheimer's. We also have Courtney Addison, her first time trying out the Mud Run for Alzheimer's. And on the phone, we have Wanda Sim, Parkland Regional Coordinator for the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, discussing this really interesting event for those of you who may have missed our first segment. Uh, the long and short of it is, if you have a sedentary lifestyle, this is the most terrifying thing for you to do. But for people who are braver and who have the grit and uh, the ability and the kindness as well to fundraise for such a great event like this, basically it's going through an obstacle course in the mud. It might take you a few hours. There's plenty of uh, well, obstacles and plenty of challenges along the way. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Kathy, I was kind of off the air discussing a little bit about this, but I'd be really interested in knowing, we touched on it a little bit, but what are some of the more unique 
obstacles that are on this? If you're allowed to divulge it, I don't know if some of this is a surprise. Uh, absolutely. Uh, for example, there is the large, large mud run sign very close to the highway, and um, they have rope climbing ropes over there, you have to climb over that. They have something called the Dutch oven where there is a hot tube that you have to crawl through on your belly in order to get to the other side. Because it's agricultural, they have huge hay bales and a very large pile. You have to climb over those. There are some mud pits that the uh, landowner dug and kind of an interesting story because he dug these three pits and you're supposed to go into the pits and come out. And so Jim dug the three pits and they said, um, thank you, Jim. These for doing this, but we want people to be able to get out of these pits. So can you <laughs> fill them in just a little bit, please? So um, there's a water slide, there's a freezing, freezing cold ice water bath, and you have to go under oh. the uh, log in order to get out. But again, these are all voluntary. If they don't, if you think that you're going to be thrown by that, you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it because it is for fun. And again, your team helps you through it. So it actually ends up being a lot of fun, even though you are challenging yourself. So I, guess, you, I guess the ice water bath, if especially, I mean, it looks like it might be in the high 20s that day. An ice water bath may not actually be the worst thing on a day like that. Absolutely. It's refreshing. And of course, you're going in and out of that mountain stream a few times too. Right, so right. yeah, so you can get refreshed that way as well. well. Wanda, what I like about these events, not only does it bring community together and give uh, those that uh, have been affected or not affected by Alzheimer's, those that are concerned about raising money, the opportunity, but also the tie in that it's a challenge, that it's something that really stresses your body. And it also mimics uh, not necessarily the, uh, the, the strains that Alzheimer's puts on you as an individual, but certainly as a family, because Alzheimer's doesn't only affect those afflicted directly with the disease. There are so many people peripherally that are affected by Alzheimer's. That is true. You're, you're talking with two people in studio who, who can attest to that. But for every individual who deals with dementia, there is fam- family members of friends, three to four people around them who are directly affected as a care partner so it definitely does and you need to and just like in the mud run to do it well and be successful having a team is what's really important so there are some parallels Courtney, uh, sorry, Tristan, I was uh, very close to my grandfather uh, for the last 20 years of his life he was a huge influence on me talk a little bit about your papa um, my papa, he was a professional soccer player, actually. So the exercise portion really ties into me. I went to school for kinesiology at U of M. So I just graduated with that. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'd really like to touch base with that. And mainly he was one of the most important people in my life and shaped me into the woman that I am today. Mainly he's a huge role model and inspiration for me. So I was really close with him, came out to my soccer games when I was little, and he always gave me feedback and really positive. So it took a hard toll on me, especially my dad, Neil Addison, one of his sons, and also his wife, Wilma Addison, who is my whole world. I love her to pieces. Hi, Nana. (laughs) Yes. So it was really tough on all of us when he passed um, in April of 2015. And yeah, we've been, he's still up there. I hope he's looking down on me and very proud of me for doing this for him. I'm sure that he is. Mm -hmm. How long did you have to deal with some of the effects of Alzheimer's and and were there times when you you had to remind him of maybe certain events that you'd shared or uh, that he didn't remember you? 
Uh, yeah, I know that. I think he vaguely knew who all of us were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw the outbursts. I saw like the positive aspects. Like I found that music really did help him. His, mm. his favorite was Frank Sinatra. You put it on, he's just like in a mood and it's great. Like once he ended up in a nursing home, um, they actually had music classes and stuff. And that seemed to really engage them and be really positive for mm-hmm. them. So... Lots of unique therapies happening, Wanda, Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, learning maybe not how to cure, but certainly how to cope and to deal with Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, either institutionally or within the family unit. For sure. Yeah, music therapy is something they've done a lot of research about, and it's and it's got to be music appropriate to the individual. So what were they listening to when they were in their 20s or 30s? What what appealed and soothed and, and brought some joy? Those are the same things that will most likely still appeal to them. So it often is shown to not only calm an individual, but also engage them to the point that they can interact a little bit better. You can see it in some some of the therapy programs that have been out there. Uh, Wanda, you touched on this uh, briefly, and Courtney, I'd be interested in getting your perspective on this. So you said you're going with a few friends, a few teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, if they're like you, I assume it probably wasn't a very difficult job, but how did you convince them to join, uh, join along with the adventure? Um, you know, one of my friends, Michaela, she's a track runner, so I think she's always wanted to do one too. Uh, my friend Carissa, she's actually done other previous ones, so it was no word necessary she was in. Um, and same with Deanna and her friend Jen, they've always wanted to do a mud run, so it was pretty easy actually. <laughs> And we're Team Sport Mudtoba. Also, that's oh, our name. Yes, there's the name. <laughs> oh, and Kathy, yes. do you have any anyone joining you on this? And mm-hmm. and I have to ask, what's the reaction you get when people when you tell people about doing the mud run? Uh, what, what do people have to say about that? Well, I think people are surprised that someone my age is actually doing it. And uh, if anything, uh, it's harder for me than for Courtney to get people to do this with me. I've asked all sorts of people and they all seem to have reasons why they're not doing this. So I'm actually doing it with uh, my daughter's friend, uh, Lindsay Smigelski, and uh, she has uh, four of her friends as well that I'm actually meeting on Saturday. And uh, we're doing it together. Previously, I had done it with my children when they came from Ontario. This is a fascinating event, a terrific opportunity to raise funds and awareness. Hopefully we did a little bit of each as we visited uh, with our new friends here this afternoon. Joining us from the Parkland region, Wanda Syme. Wanda, thank you for this. We appreciate good luck uh, that everything goes smoothly and uh, that things are wet enough for you on Saturday. Thank you very much. It was great to be invited in, and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Kathy Billamer joining us. She is from the Parkland Dauphin region, and Courtney Addison, who is from Winnipeg, but she's taken a whole team with her. You didn't mention your papa by name. I'd like you to do that. Uh, his name is John Addison. Fantastic. Yes. Thanks, mm-hmm. ladies. Thank you for this, and uh, best of luck. We look forward to uh, getting a roundup and getting an update from you next week. Yes, thank you so much. News is next from Global at the bottom of the hour. This is uh, Mackling and McGarry with Tristan Field Jones in for Brett McGarry. About? You got this big smile on your we face. We do have a big smile on our Why? face because, I sh- I, as we know, I read the the global news yeah. uh, every half hour, mm-hmm. and uh, I show back up here. I say hello to Carolyn Clausen, our regular on thir- Thursdays at two thirty, mm-hmm. and then. Mackling McGarry is lacking a lot of of a lot of Mackling. Yes, I come well, in here and it's just it's Karen neither, Clausen. Neither Mackling nor McGarry. Exactly. All you have to do is walk around the corner and go and do yeah. your little news thing at the bottom of the hour. I have to walk all the way across the other side of the building to get our ga- guest a glass of water because that's part of our contractual obligation to her so, is to make sure that she has a fresh cup of water. And I was well, simply hey, doing my job. I'm not blaming you for this. It's just mm. amusing. So what happens is our producer Jeff Forche says, "Yeah." 
uh, yeah, you guys ready to go in 10? Sure. <laughs> I guess so. I guess we have to be. We'll figure so, it out. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Carolyn Clausen, hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I went a little bit uh, ballistic over a news story that bothered me beyond uh, words. But my job is to put it into words, and I did it quite emotionally. And I've done that on the air. That, that's part of what I've done for eight years here at 680 CGOB, is to be myself and to express myself as honestly as I can. Because uh, with, chances are, if you're thinking it, other people that are listening are also thinking it, absolutely. right? So it's nice if somebody is saying it. Yep. Right. Yep. And so I appreciate you saying that and acknowledging that. We got a text message right away after I'd apologized for kind of getting overly emotional about it from someone who said, hey... Don't apologize. It's a, an upsetting story. And, and the story came out of Florida where a little boy was left in a car and, well, he lost his life due to the negligence of, of someone who was an adult who was in charge of his care. Mm-hmm. And it's the fifth time this has happened in the state of Florida this year. Right. Okay. So this is not changing. This is something that happens. We hear about these stories every once in a while. They're infuriating every single time. But what bothered me the most about the story was the fact that the police chief in Orlando implored people or suggested, I guess would be more appropriate term, suggested that in order to maybe um, help them remember that they have children in the back seat, that they should put their purse and or their wallet and or their cell phones in the back seat, that that would somehow prompt them to remember and to discover that they have children in the car. And this really, that part of it, as upsetting as the rest of it was, clearly, that upset me even more to suggest that our society, and maybe I'm reading it the wrong way, uh, to suggest that, oh, well, in order to remember your children, why don't you put something valuable in the back seat? Oh, Greg, this this gets to you, hey? Like, yeah, it does, viscerally. Uh, viscerally, right? I can yep. see, yeah, that um, your pulse is racing and yep. you get angry like in your gut all the way up, right? Um, and the, the conclusion that you hear, the story you tell yourself from the uh, officials s- suggesting that as a strategy is that somehow... Kids aren't precious, and don't doesn't everybody know that kids are much more priceless compared to a wallet or a cell phone? But I think there's extra. Um, there's a there's a method to the madness that isn't the isn't the way that you're thinking about it. Okay. Actually, thank you. Okay, which is why I want to talk to you about it, okay. right? Because I want to be rational about these things. I think I'm fairly rational about most things, and when it comes to my emotions and I get emotional about these things, I like to say, "Hey, uh, take a step back." So let's talk about that. Well, and some of it I think is because you're a dad, right? You right. have at your gut level know how valuable and precious children are and how you would never ever possibly with like at all consider doing something like that being so careless right it it, it gives you chills to think about that it doesn't compute for it me doesn't compute so here's the thing when i moved to a, a new city a number of years ago um i've since moved back to winnipeg i grew up here but when i moved to a new city i was exhausted because Every time I went to go to work, I had to figure out my route. Then when I went to the grocery store, I had to figure out my route. Then when I was in a grocery store, I had to figure out how to find things. Everything, I was just exhausted because everything was new. And the reason, and then after I had been around and lived in that city for like a month or six weeks, I stopped being as tired every day. And I was still doing the same amount of activity. But what happened is as I got more familiar with my route to the grocery store and my route to work, and I even knew the route within the grocery store, I didn't have to take up so much energy thinking all day because it could switch from the front part of my brain that had to think through each turn and each 
plan each moment out deliberately, it could switch to a lower part of my brain called the basal ganglia that just kind of had me go on autopilot. And so, you know, Greg, when you drove into work, do you remember every single corner that you took? And do you remember every single light, whether you went through green or red? Do you remember? No, I I, I couldn't uh, testify to any of that stuff. Why? Well, because you're on, to a certain extent, you're on autopilot. Right. And so what happens when kids get caught in back seats in the in the back seat of a car is that the parents brains were on autopilot and what we know is that the basal ganglia in our brain it competes with the prefrontal cortex and we know that our our basal ganglia likes to override the prefrontal cortex because it takes less energy if it can go on autopilot it will and it decides whether to go on autopilot and so what happens is in every single instance of when a child dies in the backseat of a car, which is horrible, is that there was often a disruption to the routine that day where dad took the kid to the daycare rather than the mom, or the mom had to have an extra trip to drop dad off or to drop the kid, a, a different child off at a different location or something out of the routine. And so there was, it was reason to forget and, and the brain was on autopilot and something happened when those children weren't, didn't get, were left in the, in the car for hours at a time right. where the, the autopilot kicked in and these parents, they struggle with the horror of what they have done just as much as you struggle with the horror of what they have done because they can't believe that they would have possibly forgotten something that important. I've seen the interviews afterwards. I've heard the testimony and and you're exactly right. It seems as though in almost every single case, something was out of the ordinary that day. And so uh, I, I'm not trying to give anybody a pass. I'm trying to, as I mentioned in right. the email to you yesterday, trying to understand how it is that we can forget about things that are so important, things that are so precious. And I hate to admit it, but you've given me a, a little bit of ease here to, to understand. I, I don't get it. It's still baffles me, but okay, I, I, I get a little bit more about how the human brain works because Tristan, I admitted to you yesterday, mm-hmm. I mentioned that I was in a stressful situation at one point and I can remember uh, getting news that I was getting laid off from a job okay. about a month earlier than I'd anticipated uh, before my summer was over, before going back to school. I was living in St. James, but I'd moved from Charleswood about two months before. Hmm. And so I was on Tuxedo and Corden or Tuxedo and, and Grant or Tuxedo. Yeah, Tuxedo and Corden. When I realized, hey, you don't live there anymore. You live on Portage Avenue now. Huh. And so I have experienced getting some bad news, something that was going to change my routine preoccupied and I drove right past the off ramp off of route 90 South that normally I would have taken and I kept going without thinking because your brain was on autopilot. It was preoccupied and it was stressed. And we know that parents of young children, they often are tired and stressed. um, And often it's a car's getting fixed or they have an extra child to drop off or the child is sleepy or something's going on that makes it extra stressful and makes them sort of preoccupied with something else. And that's when horrible tragedy happens. And so when there's a reminder to put something in the back seat, a wallet or a cell phone, I've heard some people talk about putting your left shoe in there because nobody's going to walk into the mm-hmm. office with only one shoe on their wow. foot, um, that it, it breaks up the disruption of the routine and it takes you out of 
sort of that autopilot and has to puts, puts you on automatic puts you into deliberate mode because you're grabbing that thing and you know you need to grab it or you remember you grab it. If you put the diaper bag on the front seat and you know that if it's there, it's because you haven't dropped the child off. It's another cue that something's in the back seat. These things have only started happening since in the early 2000s when the rules changed and we had to put car seats in the back because airbags came into being. Mm -hmm. Before that, the children were in the front seat and we knew whether we had dropped the children or not off or not because we could see them, right? But now they're in the back seat. Often cars lull children into sleeping and so we can't see their heads, the tops of their heads over the car seat. We can't hear them because they fall asleep. And there's no cue to say this child needs to be dropped off. And the the damage when the car, when it's warm outside, the car can become over hot so quickly uh, and damage can happen because their bodies are so little. It's very serious. You know, what's interesting is that I and I when Greg went on this uh, uh, tangent, when he went on this rant, for for lack of a better word, I kind of stepped back because I knew I need to give Greg some space. What I found really interesting was the difference in reactions to both of us. I, I... I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, a family in that terms. And um, the reaction from my perspective was very, very different from Greg's. Not that I don't care about this. I mean, and I'm with 99% of the people out there. How the hell do you forget your kid in your own car? Right. But ultimately, what I found interesting was how, because Greg is a dad and he's got that very close connection to his kids, this hit him home. There was no... um, not that Greg wasn't thinking, but there was no thought process of how he was going to react. It was instant, it was visceral, and it came from the heart. And what I thought was, I thought it was just a, a, a really interesting example of how, as someone who doesn't have kids, I didn't have that same reaction. So I kind of just, you know, backed off and let Greg do his own thing. So, Caroline, I'd be interested in your perspective on this. Uh, is that when someone gets into that state, is that the best thing to do is it best to back off or should you try and intervene or like what what should you do in that circumstance well i think um what I like about what you're saying, Tristan, is that you had um, some compassion and f- empathy in that even though you were both hearing the same story, Greg was hearing it in a very different way than you were, and you didn't try to talk him out of his version of the story. You just let him experience it the way he was experiencing it and valued that his perspective, even though it's different from yours, was also really helpful. And it was something that he needed to process because as he both of you talked, it was a visceral reaction. He needed to get it out because... When something that horrifying has happened and you and he has this attachment to these children in a way that you can't relate to because you don't have any of your own, you respected that his reaction was different and you held space for it in really quite a beautiful way, I think. Why don't we pause here and we'll reset the discussion about, uh, you know, calmer heads prevailed because that's what we do here. And I said, you know, I like to complain and like to vent about things. I've done it again here today. And Carolyn, thank you for that eloquent uh, uh, explanation of what can happen. I try not to be judgy, McJudge pants, but I can <laughs> be that way from time to time as part of who I am and, and part of what I do for a living. But I also emphatically insist on coming up with solutions to these problems that we highlight. So when we come back, let's talk about some 
some of the solutions. I know we've sort of touched yep. on some of them. I uh, firmly believe technology uh, is one of the reasons that we're in the problems that we're in when it comes to being distracted. I'm also one of those people who firmly believes technology will be what saves us from mm. ourselves, ironically. We'll talk about that when we come back. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones, and our good friend, she's here every Thursday from 2.30 till 3, Carolyn Clausen, Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca if you'd like to connect with her. Right now at 5, a mother does the unimaginable. She leaves her baby in a hot car for hours, overlooking the infant twice. Now for the first time, she's talking about that ordeal only to us. Natasha Graver facing child abuse charges and plenty of criticism at this hour. Her baby, thankfully, is out of the hospital. Now that mother is talking exclusively to our Serena Fazan about how this could have happened. Serena? And Jameson, you know, I just spoke with Natasha Graver for the past couple of hours here at her attorney's office. She says in her 32 years, she has never been charged with anything. She's also taught school for the past 14 years. This mother says she made a major mistake, and now she hopes other moms can learn from it. A story that is all too common. In our day and age, Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones, along with Carolyn Clausen, Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca. And Carolyn, you did a great job in talking about the biology or the physiology, <laughs> what goes on in our brain uh, when we are distracted and, and how these things can happen. We also touched on the idea of maybe putting something else in the back seat, maybe putting a diaper bag or or some sort of physical reminder that's out of the ordinary. Is that the number one strategy here? Not only for remembering that you you have a kid in the back seat, but other things that that are seemingly impossible to forget. Well, I think. Um um, my husband has this thing that he does with when he's supposed to change the filter in the hot tub. He, we have a little yellow rubber ducky and he puts it on his pillow because he should do it just before he goes to bed. So the yellow ducky pulls him out of autopilot so he doesn't just crawl into bed. He sees the yellow ducky and then he remembers that he should pull the filter out of the solution, right? There's a way of that little reminder because he sees it. Um, it reminds him, pulls him out of autopilot and puts him into conscious thought. Why is that yellow ducky there? Oh, yes, I have to do this, so I will do it. And so the idea is, is how do you build in things that will t pull you out of autopilot and put you into conscious thought so that you have no option but to make sure that there is no child in your back seat, that he, the child that has fallen asleep or that you just wouldn't notice. And so... Um, one is to be extra alert if your routine changes. You're more likely to do it if, if things aren't usual. If you know, if you pulled out of your routine, you may, um, that's one is more likely to happen. Put something of your child's like the diaper bag or the toy on the front seat um, because you may not see the child in the back seat. But if the toy is there, that might remind you that your child is in the front seat. Um, leave an item you'll need in your next destination in the back seat, and that's where the cell phone or the wallet next to the car seat or on the car seat is helpful because when you go in to your workplace, you'll need your keys. And so you know, if, you, if you have your, your stuff along that you, that you can only have when you're in the back seat, that will help. Um, if you help, if you put your child's car seat in the middle of the back seat rather than behind the driver, it's, there's more likely that you're going to notice the car seat because it's more mm -hmm. visible in the rearview mirror. Um, you can set up a system with your child care provider. A lot of these seem to happen when people go don't forget to stop at the babysitter and they believe right. they have stopped at the babysitter. Yep. Like tell the babysitter, if I have not called you to say the child is not coming, that child better be there. And so do not stop trying to get a hold of me if I don't drop the child off, right? Um, 
and then make sure that all the grandparents and everybody who your child might be with, that, that, that they're aware of the danger and that they make sure that they don't do it. Um, and then the other thing is to have a strategy to the, the, the phrase that I saw online is look before you lock, that you make as part of your habits that no matter what, you check the back seat when you get out, that that's a part of your autopilot is to make sure that the back seat is empty and that there's no child there. You build that into your deliberate patterns because you got to know that the parents that this, that they do this, this is a tragic mistake that will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Oh, they did not do this oh, yeah. on purpose. It was not negligence. It was not carelessness. It was a brain fart. Now, I have to ask uh, from a perspective of, I find it kind of interesting how, you know, putting that, uh, you know, putting the, the rubber ducky on the pillow, for instance, mm-hmm. you're almost trying to start a new routine to modify your existing routine. So my concern would be maybe after a while, if the reminder isn't good enough or if the visual indicator isn't, um, uh, if it isn't noticeable enough, how do you make sure that there's something that's good enough to disrupt that routine? Because I might think after a while, uh, you know, maybe that after... That becomes routine. Right, exactly. The, the the thing that's trying to disrupt your routine becomes routine and you think, oh, I just left this thing on the pillow. Great. And then you remember afterwards, crap, that meant this. Right. So is it worth maybe changing it up? Is it worth trying a different object? I mean, how do we avoid, you know, that routine becoming too familiar? Well, I think it's okay for a routine to become too familiar as long as you've got components in your routine that will help you to remember. So, for example, when I leave the house and I lock the door, a standard part of my routine is to jiggle the lock to make sure that it's locked. And so I don't forget to lock the door because a part of my routine is to jiggle the lock to make sure that I've locked it. So I've got systems built into my routine that are double checks. Uh, and so if, if you're part of your routine of getting out of the car is to make sure that you check your backseat or to put always put your purse in the backseat, always put your purse in the backseat, then you're always getting the purse out of the backseat. And so you're, the likelihood that you'll pull your purse out of your backseat and leave your baby while you're looking there is not like that. That's much smaller because it's the, 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 the problem is the overlooking and you just make it really hard in your routines to overlook critical steps. We had two, right? Twins. So... Uh, much more difficult to forget about too. Yes. I, and you know, I'm laughing about Usually that, but one it's was true. Yeah, yeah, you know, almost always you you had one that needed attention. So uh, my heart breaks for people that are going through this. It's hard not to judge them. It's hard not to look down on what they've done. Uh, but I think it's important, Greg, to actually know that your brain, in your brain, it's helpful to look down and it's helpful to judge because it makes your brain feel safer. If we can look at what happened over over there and say that was a tragedy that woman's a monster over there and I'm looking at that from over here where that stuff doesn't happen that helps us to feel better because what's happened is so horrible we don't want to even entertain the possibility that it could have happened to any one of us that just would creep us out too much and so that blame is a really a protective reaction well my first reaction though if I met a mother or a father that had gone through would be to hug them and hold them Compassion. Oh, big time I just I I can only imagine going through that and uh, my heart goes out to anybody who's who's gone through this has lost a child in any tragic super circumstance where you might be able to look in the mirror and go boy if only I'd done something different it's the ultimate, I think, to lose a child. We hold on to, we hold their lives as a culture very protectively, um, and just that it's an unimaginable thing. And so, for those ch- parents for whom that tragedy has happened, particularly because they blame themselves, it's it, that's just something that's horrible to live with. 
Carolyn, thank you for this. As for always, Carolyn Claussen connects us counseling, connects us counseling.ca. We'll take a pause, global news and weather at the top of the hour, and we will also start our traffic updates in the next hour of Mackling and McGarry with Tristan Field Jones in for a vacationing. Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field Jones, who's in for a vacationing. Brett McGarry, I imagine Brett is golfing today, an absolutely <laughs> glorious day in southern Manitoba. That's what we always think about him. Anytime he's off, we're like, Brett's probably golfing. Well, he works hard. I mean, oh, he's sure. one of the hardest working guys in radio and he enjoys his golfing and i think every minute he gets golfing he deserves how's that oh sure that's it's just amusing to me because we always think brett is off therefore brett off equal brett golfing yeah and that's the way it ought to be i wish that was the uh, same correlation in my world thanks for tuning in appreciate all the um text messages most people uh sharing my outrage over uh people leaving their 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 children in a car carolyn clausen i thought did an outstanding job of Mm -hmm. describing how physiologically and in our brain how this can happen some of the things that we can do to make sure that it doesn't happen to us i think in our part of the world we deal with heat for such a short amount of time that summer's kind of out of the routine anyway we don't really take our kids uh necessarily to daycare every single day when it's 30 or 40 degrees. Uh, The summertime is a different routine for most of us, certainly not all of us. And so I think the risks of those things happening here by forgetting might be different, just almost based on climate. Florida, California, Mm. Texas, some of these warmer climates, it's like that almost all year round, right? So the opportunity for things to happen. And there are way more people there. So, you know, I've been a little bit judgmental here and after After Carolyn's uh, description and her explanation of how this could happen, I I don't feel any better. I feel as heartbroken as I did when I read the story yesterday and when I've read similar stories, but uh, I'm trying to understand how this can happen. Yeah. And and you know what, Greg, it's, it's, I don't know if we got a chance to read some of these text messages, but someone here, I think this is worth highlighting, someone texted in saying, Greg, I tip my hat to you on bringing up this horrible tragedy. Any parent who feels the way you do towards their children would also be appalled by this story. The thought of my child being left behind has never crossed my mind as she is a very outspoken kid but if she ever fell asleep on the ride back from one of the many summer vacation or summer field trips now that scares me to death Mm -hmm. no matter the technology we create or configure to be a solution we will unfortunately not be enough to prevent human complacency yeah you know we just have to just uh, we just have to keep uh, those things at at front of mind Uh, I forget a lot of stuff in in my life Uh, I don't uh, suggest that I'm perfect. Mm. I'm far from perfect. Uh, and maybe that's what scares me, is that if it could happen to somebody yeah, else, exactly. right? You, you, you see your own vulnerabilities. Anyway, uh, good reminder as well, your dogs, your cats, your your pets, do not leave them in the car. Even though it's 24 degrees today, that's kind of a oh. perfect temperature. It will get really oh, hot yeah. in your car very quickly. So, you know, I, I know we love to have our furry friends with us wherever we go, uh, but when it's uh, weather like this, uh, not worth it. Uh, speaking of furry friends, what about leathery friends? Let's, uh, let's shift gears, gears here a little bit. Leathery friends? Is there, is, do, can those two words actually exist side Some by side? Some people like snakes. I don't know. You're not old enough to remember Miami Vice, but Sonny, Sonny Crockett had a, a pet alligator that uh. he kept on his boat. I can't remember his name. Was it Elvis? I think it was Elvis was the name of Sonny's 
alligator on Miami Vice, 204-780-6868. I know you know. Somebody out there, no one is yelling at me. I think it was Elvis. Um, I want to hear from you just to confirm that. How about this story from the Canadian press that has me with the heebie-jeebies all over because uh, alligators, crocodilia in general, and sharks, my two least favorite living things on the planet, I don't want to kill them. I don't want any harm to come to them. I just want us to keep our distance from one another. As far as possible. Yeah. So here's a story that you expect to hear in Florida, not in Hamilton, Ontario. Alligator removed from Hamilton homeowner's backyard. No one hurt. A Hamilton resident got a shock earlier this week upon discovering an alligator resting in his backyard. The city's animal services department says Walter Erstenian, 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 there we go, Erstenian made the discovery after walking out into his yard to do some summer barbecuing on August 8th. Animal Services says he called police, who then enlisted the department's help to move the... This wasn't a small gator. It was 1.5 meters in length, so like about five, four and a half, five feet long. Yeah, about five feet long, yeah. Erstinian posted a video on Facebook showing staff corralling the animal using a flexible lead and preparing to get it off the property. No one was hurt, and the alligator is now in custody of animal services. The department says it doesn't know how the reptile came to be in Erstinian's backyard, but says alligators are among the animals prohibited under city bylaws. So probably no one putting up their hand going, oh, that's my alligator. That's mine, yeah. I'll take some charges and a huge fine, I'm sure. I don't suspect the alligator was uh, licensed. There's no little... If you find me, return me too. Uh, this is a little collar on yeah, it. <laughs> this is something you know you expect in Kissimmee, Florida, right? You go down to Disney World, you rent a house, but I mean they have those big. Uh, uh, it's almost like a cage around the pool, a screened-in yeah. uh, gazebo around the pools, and I think a lot of that is so you don't go out to your swimming pool in the morning to to find an alligator uh, making comfort, yeah, asking you for a cocktail. Lounging on your on your floaty, yeah. Hey, hey man, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm wearing this the sunglasses. You and... don't expect this. Well, that's the, and we've heard uh, uh, we've heard stories like this even in you know in Canada where you have people who come out because you don't expect this kind of stuff like you said where you come out and you usually find a tarantula in your backyard or something. Tarantula's those... like whatever. It's like you know, yeah, would I be freaked out? Yeah, okay, I, I can process that. But an alley, no, no, it does not compute, man. Now, I wonder if it escaped from. Actually, would the zoos, would even the zoos have alligators? They would know. They would know. They have crocodilia at the tropical house at the Cinnaboyne Park Zoo. At least they have had in in the past. Yeah, but I'm trying to think if they've had alligators or crocodiles. I wonder if they would even keep those in a zoo. I'm telling you, they had used to have them. Mm, Okay. Uh, Kind of a modified modified version. Yeah. How about that? Why don't we uh, take a break up? Uh, traffic and, and weather together right here on 680 CJB. I've still got the, the heebie-jeebies. I've always said that I would be the first person on record to die of an attempted shark attack. Because if I was in the ocean and close enough to that dorsal fin, I would just simply go into cardiac arrest. That, <laughs> would, be, cardiac that would be the end of it. The shark wouldn't even get to eat me. Yeah. Yeah. And and for all you know, it could be like a whale or something that has no interest in you, but it's like dorsal fin. No, thank you. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we'll take a pause. Northern Pikes coming to Winnipeg, November 23rd. 
things I do for money. I'll never understand the world like a marble. Oh, wrong order. Wrong verse. 204-780-6868 if you want to go and see the Northern Pikes. Here's your hint. Here's the question. Here's the answer. Well, you have to give the answer to Jeffrey Forche. Brad Wall resigned as premier of what province today? Oh, that's too easy. Mm, It's the Pikes home province, so... Got to make it easy. If you can put two and two together, you know the answer to that. And we'd like to send you to the Burt to see the Northern Pikes. It's beat the box office for the Northern Pikes, November 23rd at the Burton Cummings Theatre. This isn't bad. I may have to give them a better list. I haven't heard a lot. Of, I have to be honest. I haven't heard a lot of the Northern Pike stuff. So I'll have they to, don't have a lot of stuff. Oh, they don't have a lot. Uh, you know what, Greg? I just wanted to follow up on the segment you had, uh, the last segment you had where you were talking about you had the heebie-jeebies regarding an alligator that was found in a Hamilton yeah. backyard on a m- much less serious scale. We have one of our texters, and I'll have to look this up, just texted us saying, in case you didn't know, daddy long legs are poisonous. Great. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Greg is putting on the hazmat suit, mm-hmm. and he's going to be walking out. I'm just going to stay inside. He's gonna, you know what's interesting, though, is that it's it, this kind of goes back to the whole, you know, the, the truth and the knowledge is always uh, the best thing when it comes to phobias. And one of the things that I found out along these lines is when we had Tass Stewart, one of our bug experts, yes. on talking about those big, big by Manitoba standards, uh, orb weaver spiders that are quite colorful. Orb Weaver spiders. Yes, they can be as large. They can have like the leg span of a toonie, some of them. Great. And (laughs) they can... Continue. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just loving Greg's reaction here. Uh, I almost wish this was televised. But uh, what happens is uh, people get... And and last year was a big problem, too. There were tons of them last year, and people get a little bit freaked out because by Manitoba standards, they're big, and they appear to have these big fangs, and they're striped. Das Trouver saying, yeah, you got nothing to worry about. Their fangs aren't powerful enough because a spider will generally bite you if if it needs to. Uh, Their fangs aren't powerful enough to puncture human skin. Okay, well, that's good to know. So, see, Greg, you have nothing to worry about. So, if you see one of those, you know, crawling up your leg or whatever Look up the daddy long legs. Hey, by the way, I want to thank everyone that has uh, visited, listened, downloaded, and or shared the blue bomber podcast the latest one is up doug brown and i visited with justin medlock the hero from uh, last uh, weekend's blue bomber win on the last play of the game medlock kicked the game winning field goal and uh we actually uh had a little bit of fun with justin here's a here's a piece of our conversation but you know i will say the one thing that kind of messes with me is lifting wise i i kind of go back and forth with lifting heavy yeah. on the upper body and then messing my golf swing up. So <laughs> I definitely go through that back and forth all the time. Uh, does that translate at all for you, though? Lifting heavy, is that, is that something just in case you actually have to tackle somebody in a game? Is that what that's there for? Does that translate in terms uh, of your, your punting and kicking? Oh, no, 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 no. That would just be for all. Just for but, show, right? You know, just yeah. trying to get rid of the dad bod, you know? Yeah, you got to fit in your T-shirts better that way, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. That's fantastic. That made my day. Justin Medlock, professional athlete, referring to the dad bod. I relate to that. Uh, check out uh, the Blue Bomber podcast on iTunes or go to cgb.com and click around. You'll find it. Or email me and I'll send it to you, gmac at cgob.com. Clay Young standing by with the latest 680 CGOB Sports. We also have weather just ahead. Oh, hi. I was just playing the banjo. You know, it's funny, I, I practice a lot. It turns out I'm just not very good at it. Kind of like the Bombers. 
and football. I will not miss you, Brad Wall. <laughs> that is the now uh, quote-unquote retired the outgoing premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall, in a little bit of a fun video uh, in the build-up for the Labor Day Classic and, of course, the Banjo Bowl. Uh, Brad Wall always had a very good sense of humor about the whole banjo pick and inbred thing and the whole uh, Banjo Bowl concept. Greg Macklin, Tristan Field-Jones with you. The Probably the big political news of the month yeah. in Canada, anyway, is the fact that Brad Wall, after 10 years, has decided to step away as premier of the province to our west, uh, to our west, uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, I just as a side note, I love that video. I love it when I love sports rivalries because it usually uh, evokes so much creativity and it evokes so much uh, uh, generally good humor. Actually, so well, that is good humor. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the uh, standings, by the way, uh-oh. in the Canadian Football League, Here and I comes. see the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in uh, last place in the West Division with two victories, four losses, uh, four points uh, behind the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are apparently not very good at football, uh, even though they have a four and two record. And what's the Blue Bombers' record at New Mosaic Stadium? Oh, yes. One and zero. Oh. What's Saskatchewan's record against the Blue Bombers at New Mosaic Stadium? Zero and one. So, Brad Wall, take your banjo and uh, enjoy retirement. Okay. See you on the Brad, other you, side. You have a problem. I you do have a problem. Have you have a, a problem. problem. Hey, the Keith, Bombers. Keith was absolutely right. You <laughs> have a problem. The Bombers are in Hamilton, by the way, on Saturday. The Tiger Cats zero oh and six. The Blue Bombers four and two, as I just mentioned. The Blue Bombers uh, calling a game. A third of the way into the season, a must win is probably not uh, ideal. But to say that the Blue Bombers cannot lose this game, I think, is very accurate. Interesting. You cannot come home with a loss against a team that has yet to win and has been dreadful in losing six games, including 60. That's 6 0 to 1 to the Calgary Stampeders. They were much better last week against Edmonton up in Commonwealth Stadium. That has me a tiny bit concerned. And uh, heading home, the Bombers haven't always had the best luck in Hamilton. Tune in. I think we have a two and a half hour pre game show that starts at four o'clock. On Saturday afternoon, Doug Brown, my co-host on the podcast. And uh, who's that other guy? Oh, yeah, Bob Irving will bring you the play-by-play. And uh, that'll get underway about 6.30 at uh, Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton and right here on 680 CGOB. Winnipeg, always short of money, right? Yep. We're always complaining about infrastructure. And we're always blaming somebody else for it, too. Why don't we uh, sell some streets like well, they're doing in San Francisco? Yeah, so a San Francisco... Imagine coming home... <laughs> this, is, and this is weird. Suddenly, your street is owned by somebody else. And we're not talking like another city or another corporation, just somebody else, period. Get a load of this story. So uh, a price of a San Francisco home can easily top a million dollars. Not surprising. But one savvy investor has bought up a whole street in the city's most exclusive neighborhood for a mere $90,000. I want to meet this individual. Trouble is, some of the extremely wealthy residents of the Presidio Terrace were not aware their street was up for sale and are not pleased it has been sold. Hmm. Presidio Terrace is an oval-shaped street sealed off by a gate from the Tony Presidio Heights neighborhood, lined with towering palm trees, multi-million dollar mansions. The street has been home over the years to famous residents, including Senator Dianne Feinstein and House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. So those are big names in uh, U.S. Uh, politics. So they've got a few bucks. Right, of course. And they're politically connected. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess they don't live there now. You would have thought somebody would have caught on to the fact that this street was available for purchase. How did this happen, Tristan? So this is, here's what the story says. Thanks to a city auction stemming from an unpaid tax bill, Bay Area real estate investor Michael Chang and his wife Tina Lam bought the street and now own the sidewalks, the street <laughs> itself, and other areas of common ground in the private development that, wow. according to the San Francisco Chronicle, has been managed by the Homeowners Association since at least 1905. Whoops. Somebody forgot to pay a bill. So somebody forgot. So that whole thing is private. It, it sounds to me as if the street as well was private. So ultimately, if you develop that stuff using private money, you don't want any government money for that, which is fine. Hey, do go for it. If you choose to do that on your own, go for it. But ultimately... What's privately built and privately produced can be privately sold. And well, it was publicly sold because they didn't pay the taxes on it, correct? Right. The, the, the homeowners association was supposed to pay property tax. And so they defaulted on that. They missed some sort of sale. So now, isn't this developer thinking about charging for parking on the street as a way to, to make money on this investment? Well, here's the kicker on this, right? <laughs> It turns out the Homeowners Association failed to pay a $14 a year. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's shouting fraud because 14, it's not happening to me. I'm laughing at that. $14 a year property tax, something that owners of all 181 private streets in San Francisco must do. So, yeah, this is a private street. So it's a clerical error, basically, yeah. for over 14 bucks that went 14 unpaid. 14 bucks a year that went unpaid for who knows how long. Wow. Uh, so the city's tax office put the property up the street <laughs> for sale at the cost of 994 bucks. That was the cost of it. That was in, the, the the minimum bid? In an online auction to regain unpaid back taxes, penalties, and interest. The couple eventually won the street with a $90,000 bid in an April 2015 auction. Now, I mean, I don't know anybody that lives on a private street. I don't know if there are any of those in Winnipeg. Uh, maybe some up in East St. Paul or out in Hittingley or something like that. Yeah. But can you imagine you come home and now there's parking meters on your front street? And you're not even getting the revenue yourself. Some savvy investor said, yeah, I'll take that. And uh, if you want to park on the front street, that's three bucks an hour, Tristan Field Jones. Thank you <laughs> very much. And because you're all multimillionaires, let's make it 30 bucks an hour. You know what? I like how you're thinking. You and I can go into business any time. You just like uh, increase profits tenfold with just I, one thought. I half wonder if the people who did this, I, I wonder if uh, this, uh, uh, what is it, if this, if, if this entrepreneur, if you will. Uh, that couple? Yeah, I wonder. They're going to flip it. I, you I, know what's going to happen. Exactly. But These I'm, private homeowners are going to get together. They're going to offer him like a half a million or something like that. He's going to end up putting a million bucks in his pocket. Do you keep an eye on that hey, story? I predict it right now. Absolutely. Play the system. We'll take a break. Traffic, weather together. Uh, we'll find out how things are on any private and public streets. Uh, with uh, with a traffic update, and then uh, Keith McCullough and Julie Buckingham will uh, update us and let us know what's happening on the news. Oh, by the way, if uh, you're feeling a little warm and you want a treat, head to the Dairy Queen, any Dairy Queen in Winnipeg. Uh, right now, it's Miracle Treat Day, but Kelly Moore is serving up uh, blizzards. I got a picture of him here on our 680CGOB Twitter account, Ooh. doing the old upside-down blizzard verification thing. Uh, if you're looking for a treat, uh, head to the Dairy Dairy Queen up on Henderson Highway, and you can say hi to Kelly Moore from 680 CJOB. Just in the nick of time, Keith McCullough, Julie Buckingham joining us in um, studio. You don't, you don't do that as well as 
as Brett McGarry. Yeah, he does it with a lot more enthusiasm. He I think does. he likes you more than I do, so how's that? Maybe. Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. that's one interesting way of putting it. Greg, I am proud of you. Or perhaps he's For making what? fun For of what? my name. I don't know. For admitting your condition on the air today, Saskatchewan-itis. Yeah, my green envy. Green with envy, yeah. I, I had to milk the it first, out of him a the little The first bit. step is admitting you have a problem. You're and green you, with envy? You want to be there? Greg no, has. No. Greg hates Saskatchewan. No, well, then you I love say a you're... lot of things about Saskatchewan. It just bothers me that they, they're more progressive than we are here in Manitoba. Have you seen this ring road, this new ring road, the bypass? They're... Building on the Trans-Canada Highway. In Saskatoon, you're talking? Outside of Regina. Oh, that I one like, I haven't seen. Them. I like anything with the word ring in it. Yeah, very you nice. diamonds on it or mm, what? Well, it's about a $2 billion project. So <laughs> I imagine that, you know, you could find a, a, a few grand in there somewhere to uh, to make sure that you got a nice diamond ring out of it. Yeah, no, that they already had a decent right ring road, kind of a bypass, at least on the yep. su- southern part of the city. Uh, their perimeter... You know, sort of incomplete. When you go, when you're driving, say, to Calgary through Regina, you have to go through a little bit of the city and then you can kind of get on sort of a halfway bypass correct type which thing. is which is pretty good right yeah. maybe yeah. two two or yeah. three uh stoplights but to the east uh, the city's grown dramatically so what do they do they go well you know what we're going to build a new bypass that starts out near uh, white city which is about you know 5 miles or 6 miles from the old ring road and then they're going about 3 miles south of the old ring road you see they think ahead there here we're talking about how do we fix the current perimeter highway? They're building the next generation. Well, of the of of, of, of the perimeter striking, highway. Striking. Uh, they had some good fortune with some things under the ground in Saskatchewan that's provided them with some money in their pockets that we just don't have in Manitoba. Well, yeah, but they're also they got good lucky. At pl- they got lucky. Yeah, but they're also good at planning too. I mean, frankly, uh, let's be honest. I suspect they're that if not this province good at anything. Oh, okay. Well. That's the They're not that. good at anything? They're not That's good the end of it. Like you that. have a problem, Keith. I think Where we were you this afternoon, this. Julie? You uh, played hooky for a little bit, but I, I realized that you were actually working. I was working. Uh, barbecue and Blues Fest were getting set for the big event. Met the competitors in the cook-off and oh. got to see what these gentlemen are going to offer up. All gentlemen? All men? All men. Cooking? Cooking. Better there than was, anybody else? Apparently. Hmm. Well, these three, anyways, they're in the they're the three finalists, and they have an opportunity to win some great prizes from Manitoba Pork and from Lux Barbecue, and you get to try their creations at Barbecue and Blues Fest, and then after you try them, you get to vote on your favorite. Nice. That's how they're going to Just ultimately win. Just one sleep away, but right, Barbecue and Blues gets going tomorrow. Tomorrow, and uh, got to sample some great food and get set for all of the great music, and we're going to be giving away Barbecue and Blues Festival tickets this afternoon to both of the headliners performing inside at the Burt, Fabulous Thunderbirds and the Blind Boys of Alabama. And Fabulous. Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and so, Guns N' Roses and Guns again. And Roses tickets again? Uh, yep. Where's Bubba? That's how I roll. Bubba! Did you guys hear the contest we did yesterday? It was fun. It was fun. We had five people call in and rant on the air and pick the best rant. For for what makes them lose their patience. Patience, yes. It was very good. So today? I, I, you are like my Saskatchewan. Julie Buckingham. You don't like me. I, no, I'm envious of you. And, oh. and She's you great at the contest. Another really good one planned today, today too. Today, we want you to start texting or emailing us the picture of... 
the sweet child of yours that you're going to take oh to the concert. Oh, God. I'm not Yuck. taking my kids. I love my kids, but they are not going to see Guns see, N' I'm Roses taking my with mom. me August 24th. I'm taking my mom to see Mama Mia tonight at Rainbow Stage. And so sweet. Maybe there's other moms and daughters or dads and sons or 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 dads and daughters or whatever that want to go see the show right. together that are grown up. So your sweet child, text us now. Sweet I'm not going to go 68, as well as yesterday's contest. Did. I hate children to begin with, so whatever. Oh, Tristan. You, you are, are nobody's are sweet worst. child, Tristan Field. My mom loves me. That's all that matters, Keith. See? She says I'm special. <laughs> Gary the Courier uh, says if you think Saskatchewan is so great, why don't you move there? No. Uh, are you talking to me, Gary? It's not talking I don't to anybody else. I want to move there. I just wish that we would pick up on some of the things they're throwing down over there. Well, and, the good things and, and bring them here. I hate to break it to them, but we're talking a little Saskatchewan uh, on the program starting up after 4 o'clock. Got to mm-hmm. talk about the Brad Wall thing, but also the impact, Julie, that it might have mm-hmm. on Manitoba. Because let's face it, Brian Pallister uh, really, really sort of almost idolized Brad Wall, copied mm-hmm. a lot of his policies here in Manitoba. Could what happened there and some of the changes maybe foreshadow some stuff that we could see in our province? David Papp, also uh, going to join us this afternoon, your tech expert, to talk about some changes coming to Netflix that will affect your pocketbook and what you might see on that streaming service. So some details on that. And we also have Glenn Milnick joining us on the province's announcement about the pooling of pension plans and mm. and see how that will affect your pocketbook, perhaps heading towards the future. Yeah, big story on Global 2 today about Somalis with criminal records yes. coming across the Manitoba border. We'll have a local immigration lawyer. Is that true? Is that really happening? Is it a little overblown? This asylum seeker story starting to sort of rear its head again here in Manitoba. So we'll touch on that too. Already, and don't one, forget wicked contests. Yeah, and already a picture, a sweet child of That's right. mine See? coming in. Yeah. People love their kids, Greg. Yeah, I mm. love my kids too, but they are not coming to Guns N' Roses with me. 204-780-6868 for Julie and Keith's wicked awesome contest. And tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we want your calls, your texts. on Patio Palooza. Yeah, and it's also, we want to talk about the uh, Mount Rushmore of Manitoba. Yes. If Manitoba had the equivalent, which four faces would get chiseled? It wouldn't be Jeff Forche, but he'd be close. He'd be in the running. Thanks for everything, he'd, he'd Jeff. He'd be the fifth face. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock from the patio at Santa Lucia.